0: You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly arts show. My name is Diana Moxham. There is a new romantic comedy opening at Talking Horse Productions tonight. Dancing Lessons is about a young man who needs to learn how to dance and a Broadway dancer who he asks to teach him. But like all good plots, there is a twist. The young man has Asperger's syndrome and has a fear of being touched and the Broadway dancer has an injury that may have halted her dancing career. Later in the show, I'll be talking to director Melissa Alper-Springer and actor Laura Leepart about the show and the characters they play. But first... I get to hang out with an incredible songbird. Simone is one of two vocalists with the fabulous future soul band Loose Loose who you might have caught on a stage around Columbia over the last couple of years or maybe seen on one of this year's true-false stages. But a few weeks ago, I saw her play the role of Sarah in the mu Theatre department's production of Ragtime, the musical and she was totally captivating both as a singer and an actor. As I said to Simone last Friday after a super-secret Loose Loose pop-up concert, it. When I listen to her sing, it makes my eyes moist. Oh, so it is you. a delight to welcome to the show the gorgeous person and voice of Simone Sparks.
1: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Well, welcome. I would not be more excited if it was Beyonce sitting here. Oh, well, Honestly. You know, I'm to look at her, they say. <laughs> but better. <laughs> well, thank you. So I am frankly amazed that you are sitting here right now, and not in your own leading actor dressing room in a Broadway theater, (laughs) because it feels like you are destined for much bigger stages than those of Missouri. So what does it take to get from here to the footlights of Broadway? Oh, my gosh. Um, Because you should be there. Oh, uh, yeah. I keep hearing that. (laughs) Um,
1: I am actually, the first thing is probably a mental struggle. And it's about whether I'm ready, whether I'm qualified, um, whether I'm fit enough, you know, um, whether I have the range, whether, you know, I'll be able to just jump in and and be ready to go if they ask me to. And that starts in the mind. And I think after ragtime, I've hit that, that, you know, that that light bulb that came on and said, you know what, I'm actually ready to do this. And that's half the battle. The rest is, is actually formulating an exit plan, which I'm doing now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't want to push you off to Broadway. Yeah. I mean, I want you to stay here, but you have such an incredible stage presence Thank and you. talent. Thank you. Your role as Sarah in Ragtime was, was magnificent. I mean, it was, it was an amazing cast all around. Oh, yeah. So much talent on this stage. You had Marcus Gosh. Jarrell Ruff, who's coming oh. in later this month to talk to me, Wonderful. I'm very excited about. Nolly Moore, yes. Cara Braudis, mm-hmm. just incredible. But you, even in your quiet moments you held the stage, you had a stage presence, an aura of, of being there, even when you weren't saying anything. What did it take to achieve that? It's literally like thinking through every single piece of what's happening within
1: the show. There, is, uh, there was a moment where I literally sat on stage for probably about 20 minutes and didn't have a word. And I sat in the attic and I was thinking, I have to think through this moment. It's not about just sitting in the attic. What is happening until the next time I speak or the next time I sing? And creating a story for that character throughout those moments is what lets me still live when there's no voice being heard. You know?
0: And I could see that as an audience member, I kept watching you because <laughs> you you had these kind of emotional shockwaves that kept coming out into Ooh, the audience. <laughs> so you know, there was lots of other things going on and there were a lot of louder performers. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of how many, they had more lines or they were Mm -hmm. kind of a bigger part of the story. But you sitting in the attic quietly just held that whole part of the stage. Well, thank you. It was incredible. Thank you. So I asked you before we came on air and you said no, but I mean, I was asking you if you had auditioned for Rock and for the Lyceum Theatre and that might be another good stepping stone into Broadway. Yeah, I am actually looking at several things that
1: I can do before my time is up here in the Midwest. I have not been that exposed to things of musical theater, and it was very shocking outside of Ain't Misbehaving," which I did last year, um, that this was my first musical production. People were like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh, it was. And uh, it was it was what I needed and what I called my catapult to the rest of the cast. And so I'm super excited to now find more things to get be involved
0: with and hopefully share my talent with more people. So let's back up a little bit. Who is Simone Sparks? <laughs> Where did you grow up? And what are some of your earliest musical memories? I am from st louis originally i
1: grew up in the city my family is full of singers shy singers but full of them Um, but they are very talented my mother sings and i think that's where i kind of get the classical part of what's that little bug that's in me my uncle sings as well and i think that those things you know involved in my family are kind of what got me here. I'm also a Disney fanatic. Oh my gosh, I love Disney so much. Anybody who knows me knows that. And so through years, I would watch tons of videos, movies, and I would sing with them, or I would harmonize with them. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know. Uh, but I've always been connected in that way. And then by the time I got to high school, someone from Opera Theater of St. Louis at Webster University came and found me and said, how would you like to sing opera? And I was like, <laughs> You're a joke, Uh, but but his name is Jermaine Smith and he literally took me in, paid for my training to be in the preparatory program and then said all I need to do is audition and I got in and that literally has changed my life from that point on.
0: You have a phenomenal range, I mean you kind of do everything, you sing pop, you sing R&B, you sing opera, you kind of mix between the two. I mean, when I listen to you sing it loosely, loose. every now and again, your voice will push over into a little operatic mm-hmm. and it's so enticing. How do you keep them all in a box or, or do you yes. like that to flow through? So
1: I used to keep them all in separate boxes. They, that's how I was taught to kind of, you know, this is the opera box, this is the gospel box, right? And you keep them there. You know, oh no, don't sing, you know, I used to sing tenor at church. People were like, no, what? Are you getting? Yes, that was my preference. And now I'm getting the chance, especially with musical theater, to put them all in one basket and figure out how to maneuver between them. And it is... Oh my goodness, a phenomenal journey to figure that out, and now I get the avenue through Loose Loose as well to make those things happen. Now I can sing classical, or I can sing gospel, or I can rap like we did on this last album. I can I can literally do whatever I want, and it's changing the world with my voice no matter how I use it. What is your range? Oh, from you know low to high. Jeez. Um, what is my range? what is it I, I i don't i don't really know i think it depends on the day of course
0: i think i don't know i should figure that out specifically now can you can you sing loving you by minnie ripperton can you do that <laughs> hi what is it an f or a g yeah, it's way up there. i can definitely hit that that's one of the songs i used to sing i used to sing uh, that to too. myself when i was a kid <laughs> oh my goodness yes um Mm -hmm. But if you were a tenor, then you've got that whole deeper range too, which is so
1: Oh, yeah, which
0: which helped a lot and I think is
1: going to help a lot once I actually endeavor in more musical theater uh, ventures because it's like, oh, well, we need a soprano. We need somebody who hit these low notes. I can literally do all of them. You can do all of them. Oh, I'm so blessed. I just, (laughs) God is good.
0: (laughs) So let's have a little musical interlude. Okay. I know you're a little nervous about this, but yeah. I'm you know, when i I'm, I'm googling like Simone Sparks and seeing what comes up. And so I heard you sing the national anthem at Arrowhead Stadium in August last year at the Chiefs preseason rap game against the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. And you sang this in a soprano voice, and it is so beautiful, it gave me goosebumps. Let's listen to it.
2: And now to honor America, please rise and remove your hats for tonight's national anthem performed by Chiefs Kingdom native Simone Sparks. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light, what so proudly we've hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through Dream.
0: Amazing. Oh my I goodness. still get goosebumps every time I hear that. Thank you know, I watch God. a lot of football and I listen to a lot of national anthems across all the sporting games. And that is one of the finest renditions oh, I've ever thank heard. you. Beautiful. Thank you. But that wasn't the only national anthem you sang last year. So the operatic version you sang for the Chiefs, and then you sang a much more R&B version for okay. the Cleveland Browns in yeah. December. How do you end up getting two NFL kicks in one? Because surely all singers are like oh my goodness, to be able to sing at the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I've, I
1: decided, you know what, I want to do something bigger. And I told myself that year, you need to sing for 15,000 people or more at least three times within the next two or three years. And then I was like, I can knock this out if I sing for a game, you know? Uh, and so I just literally sent my videos out there and they picked me to do it. And I was so, so humbled uh, just to be there. And of course there was a lot of controversy happening with the national anthem and to hear people literally stop, like I could see them stop their thinking and just say, oh my goodness, this voice, you know, um, that that is something I want to do. I literally was changing people's mindsets and oh, it was, it, oh, it felt so, Great I didn't even have any nerves. It was it was amazing. You I, weren't I, terrified. Uh, no. No. I think I'm meant to sing for, for big crowds. <laughs> I think you are. I think so.
0: <laughs> so what guided your singing choices so you did opera for, mm-hmm. for the chiefs and then you did a much more kind of r&b pop version for the browns did they ask you to do that or did you just decide
1: nope i think i just because i had sang for the brown the year before the browns for the year before as well and i just kind of you know sang it in a normal first time doing it how am i going to sing this and then for the chiefs i said you know i feel like i should i got like i should join this up a little bit <laughs> and uh the school of music had acknowledged it and i'm like you know what I think I'm gonna do it this way, uh, and then once I went back to the Browns, I'm like, well, I want to do it the same way again. And so I was like, let me. Who can I think of? Uh, probably Whitney Houston. I'll try to, <laughs> you know, center my inner Whitney and, and see what happens. So, yeah, it wasn't anything they asked for. They, you know, just said, okay, we know you can sing, go, go do
0: that. So how does it work? You send a video into each individual team, mm-hmm. or. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I have to send them to each team with pretty much a blurb of why I want
1: to do it. And they have stopped putting out the request forms online, like on their website. So I just find out their individual emails and <laughs> I send them send them anyway. And um, yeah, it's been definitely a journey. I'm not sure how many more I'll do or. But um, do you have was, any booked for this season? coming up? no. Because I want to do more musicals.
0: Okay, that makes
1: sense. Mm -hmm. So, what musicals do you have coming up? Yeah, I hope to audition. Well, no, it's not that I hope. I am going to audition for The Wiz. Uh, here in the fall um, there are a couple things on my docket maybe from next
0: year we'll see but I definitely hope to do at least two more have you performed at Talking Horse Theatre? no they're coming up on the next segment but no. I mean they do musicals from time to
1: time awesome, awesome. see there's so many so many things related to musical theatre that now I get a chance to look into and focus right. on and I'm super excited to learn about more more people more companies more productions um, that are happening over the next year or so
0: I mean, if you're from St. Louis, you must have great connections back with the Opera Theatre of St. Louis. Are they not calling you and asking you to come over every other weekend? No, no. <laughs> What's the matter um, with them? Uh, for them,
1: I think that they have this artist and training program that they do uh, for high school students, and I will always be connected to that. And anytime I do something, uh, I call them and say, hey, guys, I'm I'm going and I'm singing for the Chiefs. I just thought I'd let you guys know. And, and I always, I always keep them involved in things that I'm doing, but I've never actually stepped that foot forward to say hey i'm going to audition for something that you guys have uh and so that's might be part of it
0: but i don't know it's just yeah. time i mean you have a full-time job too oh, and then you're God singing God with lucy, lucy so how do you find time to fit it all in i don't know maybe i'm i mean i'm pretty
1: much trying to fit 36 hours into 24-hour days <laughs> i mean i don't know god's kept me
0: grounded and i kind of make it
1: happen and
0: so let's talk about Loose Loose, yeah. um, alongside your musical theatre career. Of course, you are known as one of the lead singers in Loose Loose, and that band definitely is going places. So, I mean, I'm sure you want to kind of hang around with them as they ascend uh, <laughs> through their stardom. How did that come about? How did you get involved with Loose Loose? Yeah, Luce?
1: yeah. So um, it was last year, last, yeah last winter. The bass player, Isaac, knew him from Gospel Choir on campus. And he kept asking me to come and join the guys and, you know, just kind of jam with them and see how he felt and uh, kind of what that looked like. And I was like, nah, I don't know if I can do that. He was like, well, bring some things that you've written. I was like, I don't write, you know. And um, uh, after probably a, several, several times, he would not stop. Um, Good job, Isaac. And, and persistent. Right. I went ahead and, and went into a rehearsal and literally the first rehearsal is how the song Convenience it came together, which is our first song with vocals. And that was, that was wow, that was last March now. And here March we March 18. Yes. Uh, and now here we are. Wow. It's been a long year. We've been doing a lot. Well, let's so.
0: listen to a song. It's from an uh, EP that they released earlier this year called Sanguine. And it's a song called What's Mine Is Yours from the Loose Loose EP awesome. Sanguine. <laughs> It's a song called What's Mine Is Yours from the Loose Loose EP Sanguine, released Earlier this year, featuring my guest Simone Sparks yeah. just beautiful, so your voice has a really lovely harmony with j r t s the other lead singer, <clears throat> but having heard how much power and range you have, is it hard reeling in your inner Aretha Franklin? does it sometimes <laughs> just want to like burst out and you have to
1: man uh <laughs> you should see our you should see our practices yeah it it things just they just come out, and honestly, oh my goodness, I'm so excited for e p three uh, there's one song in particular where I get to kind of to have that let it loose yeah lose loose, bit. and honestly at the end of uh of vibe dealer i get to to have a little more umph, which is on the the second e p candor um and it's just about growth and kind of how i've learned to to move my vocals around with with the other vocals as
0: well but we 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 kind of we go well together, we You do. do- it, it's beautifully harmonized oh, together. I mean, you. all of the bands, so you sound like you've been playing together for decades. Ah, that's not, not just a couple of years. <laughs> not that I'm an expert, but I not mean Not even it's... that long. I mean,
1: all, all the seven that we have now from the uh, the EPs that we've created and the one we'll be creating here a little later this year, uh, plug, but um, <laughs> we've only been together since November. Okay. Yeah, the keyboard has came on in November.
0: So we've all only been playing together like that
1: since November. Yep.
0: Now, did you grow up singing gospel, too? I did. So I'm always impressed by gospel singers. Mm -hmm. Again, the range and the power and the vocal techniques. Mm -hmm. If you didn't grow up in that tradition, what do you learn as a gospel singer? What are the vocal techniques that you learn that that other singers don't have access to? Because it's a very definite power and sound. Yeah, yeah. So um,
1: I... Grew up uh, at a church called Pleasant Grove Church in St. Louis, and my God, the best of the best were there. And they were very talented, Grammy nominated. I, I mean, phenomenal people. And we, you know, God brought us all together and the things that they taught us as children have stayed with us forever, but one thing in particular is probably the passion behind the breath support. You always get taught breath support that has to do with it, but where does the passion behind that come from? And then it gives you the ability to do other things that you can hold notes for longer. You can belt, right? Uh, which is kind of speaking to like the power that that you that you spoke on just now. But yeah, it, it, it teaches you a lot of things and also melodies. I learn. When I came here to Mizzou, I learned a lot by ear, not by reading music. I luckily, thank you, university, you taught me how, <laughs> you but, too. Okay. but um, I learned by, by ear, and that's what you get in the gospel tradition. Um, you're like, oh my goodness, how are you so talented? How do you know how to do all these melismas? And the church taught you that, and, and, and I will never take it back.
0: I mean it it is kind of like we were saying, it is counter then to singing in a band where everybody is everybody has their part, everybody's harmonizing. Mm-hmm. I mean you are in the gospel choir too, but there's a lot more power and in individualism. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting balance that mm-hmm. you have between these two worlds of singing in harmony and being quiet yeah. and then singing belting yeah I think it's now figuring out you know not about
1: separation but about inclusion how do I bring these two worlds to be one big one and that's what that's what I'm figuring out daily but I'm I'm getting it under my
0: belt and trying to say how can I bring them all together What did your time at Mizzou studying music teach you about your voice? Did it change anything, your perception of your voice or what you could do with it? What did you take away from studying music at Mizzou?
1: Yeah, so I I think um, one thing it taught me is that I do you have the range, right? They have the range. That is a hashtag. You should look it up. Um, (laughs) But I do have the range and there's something special about the gift that God gave me. It's not just, you know, I'm singing this or singing that. Like there's really something to it. And then how do I use those things, those techniques or even reading music? How do I use that for my benefit? And then how do I take it back to church? You know, because that was, that was interesting because I would walk in and tell my vocal teacher, yeah, I sing tenor at church. And they're like, what? No, we don't want you to do that. I'm like, I think I can do it. I can figure it out. <laughs> and and I did,
0: and it's it's been nothing but a benefit to my voice over the years. So, But going forward, your passion is really musical theatre. That's where, if you could look forward ten years, your dream life would be, you'd be on Broadway doing musical theatre. Oh, yeah. Do you have any dream roles? <sighs> of course. Are they Disney roles? Do you have any non-Disney dream roles? Ah! Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I would love to do the color purple.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably my, my dream role. Cynthia Urbio is amazing. And even watching her as she's done it is,
0: wow, yep probably color purple. I mean, there is generally uh, a shortage of roles for women in theater and even mm-hmm. fewer for women of color mm-hmm. and even fewer roles, again, which reflect the African-American experience. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough. It must be tough to find the roles that really move you. Like Sarah in Ragtime, the musical, yeah. is a
1: beautiful role that for That was you. a godsend because that is how I found myself in a place of having a full-time job now because I looked out and I said, there aren't a lot there what am I going to do I don't see myself in these roles I don't see where I can fit in uh, and so I pushed myself back and I got really discouraged uh, but here comes ragtime, and that's why I said it's like now my catapult my light bulb of saying now it's time to go out and find the roles that you can do um, because it'll make room for you your gift to right. make room yeah
0: what what is coming out where can people hear you sing next <laughs>
1: um, of course you can hear right now on candor but there will be several things going on with Luce where we'll be performing. I am also going to be, you probably want to follow my Facebook because there's so many little things that are coming up. I'm doing um, something in September with Marcus Durrell Ruff. Super excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't put too many plugs in on it. But yeah, it's a lot. It's going to be a lot.
0: So people can hear the Loose Loose music on Spotify. Yep, Apple Music. uh, It's all over the place. Amazon Unlimited or SoundCloud or
1: Napster, if you have that still. (laughs) Does that still exist? I don't know. Does it still exist?
0: Napster, Mike? It does. Mike's nodding. See? Okay. There you go. OK, you're on Napster. But Spotify is great. Thank you so much to Simone Sparks. You, you. can hear Loose Loose at the Missouri Jazz Music Festival oh, yes. Rose Music Hall on September the 7th. Yes. And you can also check out their music on Spotify, including their brand new EP, Candor, which was released a couple of weeks ago. And hopefully we will see Simone on a Columbia musical theatre stage Thank soon. You. But catch us soon because this bird is flying oh. out of the Columbia nest. I know, Thank before you. too long. Thank you so much, Simone. Thank you. You're listening to Speaking of the Arts on eighty-nine point five FM KOPN, Columbia. And after a short break, I'll be checking to Melissa Alper, Springer, and Laura Liebhart about their new production of the romantic comedy Dancing Lessons, which opens at Talking Horse Theatre tonight. Don't wander off. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. How do you learn to dance if the thought of people touching you is terrifying? And how do you teach someone to dance when you're wearing a leg brace and facing the fact that you may never? dance again. From such seemingly intractable human drama, the playwright Mark St-Germain has sculpted a romantic comedy. Dancing Lessons centres on Eva, a young man with Asperger's Syndrome who needs to know just enough about dancing to survive an awards dinner. The superintendent of his building tells him that there is a Broadway dancer living in the building too and that he should pay her a visit maybe and see if she can give him instruction. However, the dancer in question, Senga, is recovering from a traumatic knee fracture, so traumatic, in fact, that she may never dance again. And thusly, does the playwright thrust us into the lives of Eva Montgomery and Senga Quim. And here to talk about the show and the two characters who inhabit it is director Melissa Alper-Springer and actor Laura Liebhardt. Welcome to the show, Melissa and Laura. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) So this is a play about two mismatched people who slowly and usually awkwardly attempt to form a human connection. They each have something to offer the other, but to get to the resolution they both need, they have to cross the communication equivalent of an assault course. (laughs) Melissa, (laughs) what was it about dancing lessons
3: that appealed to you so much as a director? Well... First off, it's been a while since I've done something that's just a straight comedy that's just fun. Um, although I have to say there's more to it than just, it's not a farce, it's more to it than just sort of surfacy comedy. So it was really nice to take on this this kind of project. And I'm also really pleased to have two actors who are really good at what they do. And as I, as I have said in the past, a good show is 95% casting. Right. And if you cast the right people it just sort of does its own thing. In fact uh, the actor who portrays Ever, Montgomery, said you were kind of hands off on this one and but I don't... I. I trust my actors, and they have done a really good job. I knew they could do it, and so that's how it worked.
0: You very kindly let me see the final dress rehearsal last night, so I can definitely attest to the fact that the actors are incredibly fine. And they are not, certainly, you know, they're not easy roles. Eva Montgomery is a, is a tough role to pull off. And, you know, Senga has to walk a pretty fine line between serious and comedy and, and the way that she throws her comments out. So, it, well done, Laura. That was Thanks. fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, you teach at William Woods University, where you are the assistant professor of communication and theatre. Yep. And the whole play revolves around communication. So, as an educator in the field of communication, what do you pick up in the play, pick up on, that kind of also makes it into your syllabus, this kind of idea of how we communicate?
3: Well, I think most people don't think about Listening as part of communication, <laughs> you know, most of the time we're we're formulating what it is that we have that we want to say, and so I think the listening to really what the other person says means, and we also look at at uh, nonverbal communication as well to understand what someone is, what the message is that someone is is trying to say, and I think in this one, that sort of normal communication is is so awkward because because of uh, Ever's uh, Asperger's and so I think it really makes us think more about how do we communicate? How do we bridge that gap between people? It's just a—it's just sort of a, an exaggerated example of, of just everyday conversation, really, between two people. Because we all know that we can be misunderstood really easily, and and face to face is hard enough. When you take away those nonverbals in texting and online messages and those kinds of things, then you're really diminishing how well we can can communicate.
0: And when you see how ever struggles, you realize how much we do rely on nonverbal communication and how much we pick up on on cues from people by looking at their face and if you can't read a face right how much you miss
3: right and he's he has so much input that he's trying to process that that's just one thing being able to see the, the nonverbal is just one thing that he's having to contend with right and he says that he has studied you know facial expression body expression to try to figure out what they mean what what the meaning is behind the words cuz words are one thing but the whole meaning behind it are, are a different thing and and i think we all do that study sort of subconsciously as as children you know we understand nonverbal before we understand no <laughs> you know right. but i think with the aspergers they have to they have to work harder to really Focus on that to one, lear- learn learn it thing. as a yep. social
0: skill. Laura, you play Senga, a former Broadway dancer, now in a leg brace with a torn up knee. Specifically, your anterior cruciate and medial collateral ligaments—that's the one—were ripped in two. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awful. Tell me who she is. Like if you were about to introduce me to her at a party, fill me in on her backstory.
4: Who is Senga? She is uh, just a spunky, fiery, impassioned person who has a singular focus and has put her entire person into it. She has a skill and it happens to coincide with something that she loves and she's just a voracious, voracious dancer. Her whole life centers around that focus. It is what she does and it is who she is. But that that shouldn't minimize her as a person because there's so much in that one facet of her life it's her expression it's her health it's her mental and emotional health and her physical health it's how she communicates with others because she's also a little stunted in direct communication she's a very caustic sarcastic person she does not just kind of plainly speak her truth very often but the way she does communicate her her heart and her spirit really is through dance and through the connections you make with other people when you dance with them. Because we see her as a singular unit, but you know she's a Broadway dancer, she dances with dance companies. And when you're part of a group creating one picture, one entity, it's a whole other form of communication and
0: connection with other people. When we meet her, she is certainly caustic and sarcastic because yeah, yeah. she's really going through a crisis in her life. But do you think, do you have a sense of before the crisis happened, do you think she was always a caustic and sarcastic person, or do you think the injury has brought that upon her?
4: I think she was she's maybe less caustic, but always snarky. she's <laughs> she has a level of of sharpness to her that's just who she is. But uh, when you understand the warmth in her, it does not come across as um, negative personality trait it's just she's that person who's quippy and she's sharp and she's finding the funny and she's still kind of emotionally wounded underneath um she has things that she's working through and so there's that layer of defensive humor I think is always kind of a sheen that she wears no matter what it it feels
0: like she is you know there's a lot of suffering in her life at that moment that we meet Mm -hmm. her in the play and so it feels like some of that harshness comes from her suffering rather than from her deep persona. Yes. <laughs> so the playwright Mark St. Germain said that one of the things he needed to fix in his early version of the play was Senga's backstory. He felt that ever is dealing with so much as he navigates life as a person with Asperger's and Senga needed more conflict, more mm. unresolved issues or her story didn't really match in terms of drama with Evers. Right. So I always wonder what life stories actors invent for their characters when they're... Exploring their motivations, what what do you imagine for Senga? Do you have little backstories that you have that are just your interpretation of Senga as opposed to what the the playwright has told
4: you about her? I I do a bit, and um, in some ways I have to really work to remember to separate myself from the role. I I mean, my, my life story is not her life story, but I did grow up as a dancer and surrounded by dancers, and I can internalize that focus and that fear of I can't do the thing I want to do anymore. But particularly in the show as we talk about her being a, a third grader and a seventh grader and like this small child, I just I, I see her as that. Now we're surrounded by videos of tiny child prodigies in everything. Five-year-olds who know every country in the world and can name it at a glance and so everyone's this like child prodigy now and I I feel like when I was a child we weren't all that skilled they're they're getting better at everything they do but I really see her as that you know that three-year-old who's like I'm gonna I'm gonna be a rockette one day I'm gonna be a Broadway dancer one day and it's like trying on costumes and and living this bright imaginative explorative life, just trying to figure out how she's gonna get there. There's a, a spark of life and passion in her that's not it hasn't been snuffed out by her life traumas and it's not buried under her sheen of snark. I just see her as that like kind of wild child that I was not, even remotely, somebody who's going out and getting hurt and getting up and trying again. Just kind of an adventurous little, little fiend. Do
0: you imagine her to be the same age as you? Do you feel like you're younger when you portray her or older? Or I the think... Same? Eh.
4: I'm probably younger when I portray her, just because I, I'm I'm nearing 30. So I would be <laughs> aged right out um, because, you know, you I know feel like- the it's... older people in the room
0: laughed. 30's so, a good year.
4: I mean, so as a dancer or as, you know, as somebody in that, that keyhole youth is just the golden ticket. So once you're over 25, you're starting to get there, as far as that dancing scene in particular goes. It's an unusual name, Senga, and she does explain it in the play, but just tell us quickly why she's called Senga. Well, she was supposed to be named Agnes, which is just as, you know, unusual, if you ask me, but uh, her aunt was signing her birth certificate, accidentally wrote all the letters backwards, and so it stuck.
0: As an aside, I have to say I laughed at her being called
4: Senga, because coming from England, Senga
0: has a bit of a connotation in Scotland. I mean, it's Agnes spelled backwards, but Mm -hmm. it has... um, it's kind of a working class girl. Doesn't really ever escape her neighborhood. Mod in modern parlance, mm-hmm. she is what they call a, a bit of a Ned, a non-educated delinquent. She has a lot of you kind know, of <laughs> you know thick tangerine makeup on, and her hobbies, as it says on Urban Dictionary, are shoplifting and chewing gum. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that he chose the name Singer because I was laughing, knowing this background to Singer in the UK. Oh, that's glorious. <laughs> So, Melissa, says we don't have Jason here to talk about Ever, tell us about Ever and who he is. Ever
3: is um, a professor of geosciences and other inevitabilities, extinctions and those kinds of things. (laughs) So he has achieved a lot professionally. Uh, and I would think that the Asperger's would serve him well in research and pinpointing where it is that he, want to, he wants to put his energies. But I know that at the risk of, of speaking for Jason Cavallone, I know that he did a lot of research about Asperger's and autism. And I know a lot of people have ideas about what that is. And I think that this play helps dispel some of that, that, that it is not... Uh, singular there are a lot of different manifestations of of autism and Asperger's from and he mentions some some that exhibit autistic tendencies, Bill Gates, Emily Dickinson, Michelangelo, Albert Einstein, there's another one I can't remember but but these I, I know uh, Dan Aykroyd uh, from Saturday Night Live says that he has some of those tendencies as well. so I think that I think it does, in, in Jason's research, I think he's discovered that there are a lot of different ways to manifest ever. I know that initially when I read it, and I think Jason did too, we saw a lot of Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory in there. But I think, and that was a danger, right, is to, especially in a comedy, to mimic, right, to create a character that's already there. And I think that Jason has done a really good job of of making it his own, of, of really f- making ever more three-dimensional, I think, than we might think. And I think audience expectations about what that is are something that we think about as director and, and actors, too. Mm-hmm. and How do we portray something that uh, is really not well understood, even though we, we've been talking about it a lot in the last decade or two.
0: And really, we probably all have friends who have some level of Asperger's or autism spectrum, but sometimes you don't necessarily no. there might just be something that seems a little unusual to us or a little off to neurotypicals as we are called in right. the play um, but we don't understand maybe why well and I think in in that
3: way it's a it's a lot like learning disabilities that that a lot of times people f- adopt coping mechanisms that hide some of that or at least they adapt in some way that make them successful and so I think that that may be true for people with Asperger's, or whoever's on the, on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, that there are some coping mechanisms that, that we might sort of twig to. That's a little, little odd, but it, it doesn't stand out to us like, like some more severe cases. And
0: that's one thing that I think the play shows really well is, is how he copes with life in a neurotypical world right. and his, his coping mechanisms and his structures of learning, how he looks at, you know, he has people's faces on, he looks at them online and this is a happy face. This is a sad face. Right. This is fear. And I'm sure that that isn't that isn't made up. That people do do that Absolutely. because that's the only way that you understand what you're looking at when you can't read a face. Right, and that
3: uh, study. He says that he studied, you know, those nonverbals and uh, from childhood, and so you can see how that that sort of study might fuel and assist him in in the scientific pursuit in his career as well.
0: Well, for, for Jason playing ever i'm guessing it was kind of a fine line between presenting as an awkward person and coming across as a little bit wooden um because he has these kind of strange mannerisms how did you work through that as a director was that a challenge finding that balance well,
3: I trusted Jason to find that. <laughs> I tend to trust my actors to find to find them. I mean, I I'm not averse to helping. You know, and uh, you know, try this and try that. He also has a friend whose brother is autistic, and so we relied on him to come in. And mostly, it was like the eye contact because eye contact is difficult for the character. And so there's a. <laughs> There's a fine line between not making eye contact and looking blind. You know what I mean? And <laughs> right. so I, so some of that is come in, come in, uh, friend, and, and look and see see how it's. So he did have him come across. in and, and yes, watch and he, some of the rehearsals. Watched, absolutely.
4: That's um, great. So
3: that's, you know, but that's part of the research, too, is, and I know he's online a lot. We looked at Temple Grandin, and we looked at a lot of other people who were talking about their autistic tendencies and... One of the things, one of the things that Temple Grandin does is she does a lot of, of gestures, but but there are others who who have um, calmer hands. The Good Doctor was one of the that uh, series was one of them that we looked at. So a lot of research went in, and then so then what happens is that you find that there is this range, just like there are other humans, <laughs> range <laughs> of of physicalities, and so then you have to figure out what works theatrically right because because it also has to play to uh, an audience most people with autism pause to To think before they answer, but if we do that on stage, then we're there for a really long time, and an audience can lose interest, and the pacing is affected. So that's so. Those are some of the choices you have to make in terms of art, while still main, maintaining uh, some truth to to the. But see, it's character. funny that you say
0: that. Having seen it last night, I would say that there were pauses because he, even if they weren't there, he kind of physically manifested the pauses, and it felt like there were pauses when he was thinking about what he wanted to say next.
3: And that's a good actor. So,
0: yeah, good job, Jason. <laughs> that's a good actor.
3: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: so, well, and that's the thing. You can allow some pauses,
3: it, especially with a two-person. You know that it's going to go from one to the next and back mm-hmm. and forth, like a tennis game in some ways. And so and so we're ready for him. So in some ways that pause. And But, but the physical thing also draws you in, even if it hasn't made a sound, then we know something's coming and we'll wait for it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Laura, was it odd working with an actor who you weren't really
4: having any eye contact with? <laughs> uh, in some ways, it is a challenge, uh, but oftentimes on stage, inside secret, we're not always looking at each other because you have to cheat out just enough so that you know the audience can still see your face and everything else, and your your words are reaching the audience and not being cut off by the direction that you're looking. So there are a lot of times that you work with other actors that you're not quite looking at each other, and it can be frustrating, but I can I can say with almost perfect assurity that every time I've had, like, an emotional connection moment on stage, there is eye contact because it feels absolutely necessary. You go, right now, we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. And during this show, I can, I can count on one hand the number of times he actually looks in my eyeballs, and it's always like a... Whoa oh my goodness, you're looking at me. It's like, it's a it's a powerful moment because he spends 99% of the show not looking at me. Um, so in the beginning, it was hard. Uh, it was a little bit frustrating because as a person, I'm like, would you please? Um, I also work as a sign language interpreter and a lot of uh, communication absolutely 100% depends on eye contact. It's rude to not make eye contact. And so that it's seeped its way into my whole being that I need you to look me in the eyes, and I think I sometimes make strangers feel uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but in other ways, it really helps that emotional moment, that breath of, oh, my gosh, we're having an actual connection when he does look at me when we're on stage. So it has its, you know, its benefits and its cons. But
0: Talking about the emotion, there are parts in any play which are emotionally honest and other parts which, you know, are a little bit more made up the audience has to kind of suspend disbelief just to move the story along so what are some of the moments in this play where you feel there is just this really honest emotional connection between Senga and Eva
4: well what to say without giving away some of the thrill of seeing (laughs) it that uh there I mean there are moments of honest honest rage which um shouldn't sound like a a, a fun thing to see but it's it feels like catharsis and the the energy between us feels honest and connected and 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 just vibrant there's a lot of sarcasm and quippiness and i mean it's a comedy so there's a lot of just kind of surface back and forth uh but the moments where it's like everything's just let go and we're speaking truths and, and even even within this moment of rage there's mockery of of Sangha's own self and but it still feels like a letting go and moments when they're physically close feel like feel like a relief and a even though there's tension here, there's there's an actual connection of two human beings happening and it it feels honest and it feels I don't know exhilarating but it's where are the moments of truth for you in the play I was well I was
3: listening to Laura just now and I was thinking about how much he's trying to make a connection even though he can't make an eye he can't touch he doesn't look in your eyes he's trying for a connection and she keeps deflecting and and as she, as Laura said there are those points at which they do connect which which are more powerful I think and And I think, again, they do a really good job of bringing those those things forward.
0: It's very difficult when you're when I'm sure when you're rehearsing and you don't have an audience there, you don't know where is where people are going to laugh. Where are you going to feel the emotion come back from the audience So until you start performing for an audience? I guess some of those things are unresolved.
3: Right. Mm -hmm. And then from night to night, people laugh in different places. They laughed in a place we didn't expect. How is that funny? They didn't laugh. This one's funny. What is wrong with them? So it just depends. And as as, uh, uh, Senga says in the script... The audience is involved in every production. The audience is part of it. You know, I think a lot of people come and they said, it's not like a movie where you sit and you watch and a movie's past tense and theater is right there and live and something falls off the wall. We all have to deal with it Mm -hmm. on stage, (laughs) off stage, in the audience, you know? And, And however it goes every night depends on the audience and their responses. And so... That's one of the joys.
0: It's interesting when you're an audience of one, and, and, you know, I'd I'd read the play, and so I kind of, I'd I'd read the funny lines, but what made me laugh when I watched it wasn't necessarily what I had been amused by when I read it. So it really was in the portrayal of it and the performance of it, some moments were... You know caught me kind of off guard because I you know i hadn't laughed when i'd read it, <laughs> and that's why plays are not literature; they're meant to be performed. <laughs> it is always difficult reading a play I get often get the wrong idea, which is why it's so nice at talking course to let me come and see it because i I prepare to chat to people and right. I read the play, and then often if I've seen it afterwards, I think, oh, I would have." I would have approached it differently had I seen it, so it was and the same thing happens as a
3: director I right. you know I've, I've got a certain interpretation, and then I've got uh, actors who who see something different, and um, very often, most often, they're right, <laughs> you know because they've explored it from their point of view, and I've been an actor which helps as a director, but um, I'm also really. Really glad for their interpretation. I guess a good director just lets go to some degree. To some degree, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think so.
0: Because when I when I first read it, I felt a little awkward at some of the humor because I felt like, am I laughing at ever? Right. But when I watched it, it turned yeah. into like we're really laughing with him because he is is being funny he's saying funny things well and that's the thing that I,
3: i've always admired about actors is they can create they can take something that's black and white on a page and create three-dimensional characters and i think that's whatever becomes embodied in jason right. right so so that we don't laugh at him
0: music is kind of important in the play this is kind of more of a technical question but when you get the rights to a play you don't get rights to use any music so how does that work do you have to apply for copyright or is that down to the theater to deal with all of that side of that it that is down to the theater <laughs>
4: to deal with it's a question with. for adam Brinkley. that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for coming by. My guests today have been stage director Melissa Alpha Springer and actor Laura Liebhart, along with Jason Cavalloni. Their production of the romantic comedy Dancing Lessons opens tonight at Talking Horse Theatre. You can get tickets at talkinghorseproductions.org or by giving the theatre a call on 573 607 1740. Tickets are $15 and the show continues next weekend, but it is a small theatre, so I always recommend that people get tickets. and in advance because they often do sell out nights of the show so break a leg to both of you it's awesome i hope everybody goes to see it thank you so much for being here thank you thank you, you. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts and before we hand the airwaves over to Terry Gross and Fresh Air I have a list of arts events coming up that would like to find their way into your diaries. It is opening night as we've been talking about at Talking Horse Productions for the Romantic Comedy Dancing Lessons starring Jason Cavaloni and Laura Liebhardt. Evening performances start at 7.30 plus there is a 2pm matinee on Sunday and the show continues next weekend. At the Columbia Entertainment Company it is the second and final weekend for their production of the Shakespearean comedy A Midsummer Night's Dream. The show starts at 7.30 and tickets are $12. In Arrowrock this weekend, it's your last chance to see Murder for Two at the Lyceum Theatre. A blend of music, mayhem and murder with all 13 roles and the piano played by just two performers. There are evening performances tonight and tomorrow at 8, plus 2pm matinees tomorrow and Sunday and tickets are $42. It is also the last weekend to see Buddy, the Buddy Holly story at the Maples Rep Theatre in Macon. There are performances at 7.30 tonight and tomorrow, plus 2 p.m. matinees on Saturday and Sunday, and tickets are $31. Meanwhile, at Capital City Productions in Jefferson City, it is opening weekend for their production of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Cinderella. Doors open at 6 for the Dinner Theatre Show and 12 for the Saturday matinee matinee show however do check availability because i believe that the entire three-week run may be sold out so you might be looking for return tickets tonight at cosmo park their movies in the park season continues with ralph breaks the internet starting at 8 45 and on stage at rose musical tonight are the funky butt brass band and cat daddy's funky fuzz bunker band i got it right tongue twister I just wanted to say those names. The show starts at 9pm and you'll need $8 to be part of the fun. Tomorrow is a busy day in Columbia. The new Centre for Missouri Studies building on Elm Street has its grand opening at 10am. You'll have a chance to wander through the new building and see the art galleries and research collection. Tomorrow is the annual True False Boondordle bike ride out to Les Bourgeois. If you haven't already got your ticket, day is the last chance as you do need to do that in advance. If you don't want to do the bike ride, there's also the option of just buying a ticket for the dinner and the movie at Les Bourgeois, which is this year is called Circus of Books. Registration for the ride opens at Flat Branch Park at 2 and the dinner buffet at Les Bourgeois opens at 6. And Skylock Bookshop Drag Storytime returns at 1pm tomorrow with a bevy of gorgeous drag queens on hand to read children's books aloud. That is a blast if you haven't been to that. Tomorrow night, the Blue Note is hosting Party With a Purpose, an adult prom night to benefit Pascal's pals. The evening gets underway at 7.30 and tickets are $50. And at Rose Park. It's the first annual K. Brothers Summer Fish Fry, also featuring the Tillers and the Bernie Sisters. Expect critter songs and a critter dinner, courtesy of the Gator Wagon. The evening starts at 7 p.m. and you'll need $10 to get into the party. Sunday afternoon, at the Museum of Art and Archaeology, is showing The Adventures of Mark Twain at 2 p.m. at Mizzou North, a biopic about how Samuel Clemens became the renowned author Mark Twain. Next Tuesday at Rose Park, they'll be showing the film Love Simon at 8:30, and that is free. And finally, next Thursday, Rose Comedy Club's monthly pints and punchlines is on stage at 9pm. And entrance is just $3. You have been listening to Speaking of the Arts at 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me, Diana Moxon, and my good friend and sound engineer, Mike Hagen. We'll be back next week with more news, views and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. Stay arty, Columbia.